All right, welcome back to Fright Central. I'm Doc, back here again, as always, with Keck. Uh, and we are going to talk about Fall of House of Usher. We uh, are. The Netflix series uh, came out probably like a month ago now. Uh, I know we're kind of late getting around to it. But, you know, we've been busy doing other things, and uh, life kind of gets in the way of shit. So, yeah, it uh, does. Yeah, it fucking does. Yeah. So uh, why don't we uh, dive right into it? Well, um, I think we both, um, we discussed this a little bit last night when we were considering doing um, a cast of it then. Um, we both had some thoughts about the show that were like kind of like um, like a forward. We both had like some opinions about, like for example, I had said that um, I felt that this this show, I mean, just at first glance, I want to say, I think this was a masterpiece. And because it was so well done, I would like to basically take every single episode and go into like a very detailed, like, you know, not frame by frame by any means, but like, I'd like to go into like a very detailed, like comparison to like, what references they were using of Edgar Allan Poe's, like, you know, poems and short stories that he wrote and, like, talk about the integration and, like, all the references in each individual episode, like, because I sort of feel like pulling the show apart and would be, like, doing it justice, but because there's so much it would take us hours to really go through and like analytically present to the audience, like every reference, every theme. Uh, there would also be speculations because, you know, there's stuff we don't even know. Like I'm not like a master of Edgar Allan Poe's like literature. So like, you know, we'd even have like speculation we could go into. And if we really wanted to, in fairness, we could probably do a full one hour cast of each individual episode if we were going to dissect it and you know talk about like you know everything that happens and you know how that relates to Poe's writings and like all that stuff it's just not feasible and nobody wants to hear us like you know for the few people that do occasionally listen to us nobody wants to hear a fucking eight hour podcast of like us like you know like a <laughs> uh, very like introspective like detailed like you know what i mean like and w what they were referring to here was poe but um I did find one thing uh, interesting that I just wanted to point out at the end. We were talking about how um, Edgar Allan Poe, uh, you had uh, said, you know, whether you, how are you liking the show? I was about halfway through it. And I said, I think it's been great so far. I was like, you know, I think if Edgar Allan Poe, like, you know, years later saw this and saw like how his works like, you know, were being adapted in this particular uh, presentation, he would be like really delighted and proud. But then I was like, well, actually, no, because at the end of his life, like he was 
dying from like withdrawing from both alcohol and opium and they didn't have proper treatment to help the alcoholics because they didn't quite understand like alcoholism withdrawal so like when Edgar Allan Poe is dying he was dying and having brutal unsedatable mind-bending hallucinations that simply could not be stopped. Um, the medical staff were like writing about the terrors of this man's death. Like they were able to document it. But like when you're having those kind of hallucinations from like acute alcoholism and opium withdrawal, like you could sedate a person, you could give them pain medication to make their body physically sedated but you're not able to turn off their mind so they are just going through brutal non-stop psychological hell until they finally kick the bucket and i thought that was very interesting because at the end of this show not to jump all the way to the end but i have to say it's the same thing that happened to our main character um Bruce was, uh, he played Roderick Usher, but Bruce Greenwood was the actor that played him. And that's basically what happened to him as he was experiencing the last moments of his life. So that is the one thing that I wanted, like for me, that was like the most profound thing that I was able to detect. Like, you know, uh, when talking about like Edgar Allan Poe was like the way, like, um, you know, Bruce Greenwood's character died. Like he was experiencing that uncontrollable, no matter what he did, he even tried to kill himself. And like, you know, he couldn't commit suicide. He had to die with these horrible, nonstop, uncontrollable, mind-bending hallucinations that, you know, lead into the epic climax at the end. But I know I jumped like ridiculously ahead, but like, I just wanted to point that out, that that was probably, aside from the Raven, that was my favorite part of the show where, you know, it, you know, compares to Edgar Allan Poe's life. It wasn't actually stuff that Poe wrote about, although I'm sure his alcoholism did affect his work, obviously, but like it was what he didn't write, what actually happened to him, the way they showed it in the show, uh, not to over explain it, but that was my favorite part. Um, about, you know, Poe's, like, you know, his work being involved in this. Uh, I thought it was amazing. So, after saying all that, what were your initial uh, feelings? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, I was going to say the only reason, other reason we're not going to do a deep dive is because I haven't, like, read Poe since, like, high school. Well, yeah, uh, that's yeah, obviously, so. like I said, you know, we're, but, but there's a few poems that I'm sure that you'll remember. I mean, because they're very popular in, uh, just random popular television, for example. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah, when they would. The, uh, Simpsons Halloween episode where Lisa, uh, has the telltale heart. Remember, she like sabotages the kids' uh, science project and she hides it underneath her house. And like she keeps hearing like his science project and she's like, I can't stand the beating of that heart. You know what I mean? So, like, there's certain poems that you know. You, you know, oh, the yeah. I mean, I might. Tapping, you know, you know, the telltale heart. You know, those are just, yeah, but obviously, yeah, that's another reason why we couldn't do it. I mean, 
we're just not that dedicated. This podcast is just me and Doc bullshitting, just talking yeah. about the stuff we would normally talk about to one another on a Friday or Saturday night if we happen to see each other. But like, you know, I mean, we're not gonna, we're not so dedicated that we're gonna go back and become like Poe experts, you know? Because personally, I don't know about you, I hate poetry. Yeah, I, I just yeah, want to point that out there. Poetry, <laughs> like I love English lit class, like English lit journalism of all like the classes I took in uh, high school. I love journalism. I really enjoyed writing papers and trying to like prove my point or, you know, argue a particular position. Like I love that. But like part of like all that English lit would be like the poetry section. And I just wanted to stay home. Just like, you know, could you just dock me like 10 points and I'll just try to get a 90% so I can hold the A grade and you just like, you know, not have to make me sit for like the poetry section. I hate poetry. That I just want to put that. I fucking hate poetry. Yeah. You know, I, I respect certain poets like Blake, uh, like, you know, Poe and uh, William Blake. Uh, I even like some of Jim Morrison's writing, uh, even though he was not a very good poet. But like, you know, there's a lot of poets I have respect for, but I hate what they produce. Yeah, I've always had a hard time, like, you know, just reading or understanding a lot of poetry as well. I yeah. mean, the one that I, you know, did like was Poe, but like, I, yeah, any other stuff I'd be like, yeah, I'm not, I'm not really into this, but like, yeah, I, I mean, I, like you were saying, I definitely recognized a lot of the stories in there, even if I wasn't like fully like remembering exactly what happened in the stories, I'd be like, oh, okay, I remember this story from Poe's work. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, you you, so. you get like flashes like, oh, I remember. Oh, yeah, like in, you know, seventh grade and Miss Carlton's class. I remember like somebody doing that. And I um another thing that just to quickly mention, if you remember um our friend Jamie and our friend John, when Jamie was in college, Jamie had to give a presentation. I think he was doing a class where they were discussing the Canterbury Tales. And before the class, he had to read a poem, just him up in front of the entire class. He was nervous about it. So to help Jamie, uh, we know him as Minor. He's been on the cast before. Our friend John read the poem and recorded himself reading it to the background of the intro music to the classic horror movie Ravenous. And Jamie listened to it over and over and over again and was able to recite it flawlessly due to that. And like, I don't know. So yeah, I mean, there's been like some cool moments in poetry for me, but in general, like I just hate poetry. And I was thinking like, because of that, like maybe I wasn't going to feel it that much because I mean, there's a lot of, um, uh, particular parts where um bruce greenwald's character will directly read poetry like in the narration he just reads poetry and when he's begun when he started doing that i was like oh so i'm gonna have to deal with this throughout the course of the show (laughs) i gotta tell you i really didn't mind it i mean first off like Bruce Greenwald read it very well with conviction, yet 
he wasn't overly enthusiastic. So like there was confidence, but you know, he was going through dread. So he read the shit like very like, you know, on enthusiastically, like he had a hint of misery in his voice. He was feeling raspy and whatnot. So like, you know, I was actually like, whoa, you know, this is actually really fucking cool. Yeah, uh, so why don't we uh, get into it um, before? I, uh, <laughs> You're not gonna back me up there now. No, I got no. I, I like I get it. Like uh, you, you yeah. felt that jam as well. Yeah, yeah. Like I was like, oh great, he's reading poetry. poetry you know, I, yeah. I don't understand what the fuck well, he's saying do right you now. Agree, but, yeah. Do you agree that it helped the show, or could you have done without that part? Oh, or I think yeah, I I think you have to add it in when you're when the whole show is based around Poe's work, you can't just not have, you know, direct quotes from it. I feel like it, it wouldn't make, you know, well, see, I think you could really not good. have direct quotes from it. I disagree. I think they could have gone in a totally different direction, but, um, I, what I'm saying is despite my hatred for poetry, I thought like hearing the poetry during the show really added to it. Um, I enjoyed that very, very much. And, you know, at first I was thinking like, you know, what the fuck, but it really worked out in the end. I was just yeah. curious if you felt the same way. Yeah. I thought, like, I think that worked for you or could you have been like, eh, I think they could have went in a different direction. I mean, I could always go with out poetry, but I think it definitely, uh, <laughs> I think it definitely helps. The, the That's not I, was, I, was just, I was just looking yeah. for like a response, but yeah. You know, all right. <laughs> so on, on we go. You want to yeah. like, just kind of like introduce us to like the central theme and plot. Yeah. Well, if you're unfamiliar with the show, obviously it's based loosely based on, uh, <laughs> Edgar Allan Poe's work and, uh, a lot of his different, not only the based on fall of house of usher but also a lot of other stories yeah. uh but this is mike flanagan's last netflix series before he uh, yeah got so we, we consider this a trilogy this is the end of his trilogy with hill house Bly manor i mean does did he did he call it a trilogy like do you know how he felt about this or is this just like his third and final work for the company netflix well, wouldn't this be his like fifth show? Because he did Bly Manor, Haunted. These are the three I know. He did Midnight Mass, Haunting of Bly Manor, Haunting of Hill House, and The Midnight Club. Uh, yeah, I never saw Midnight Club, and I never saw Midnight Mass. I thought I thought we talked about Midnight Mass. Have you not we seen may Midnight have. Mass? But I uh, think you need to watch um, Midnight Mass. I'm, if we no, I'm not saying we didn't discuss Midnight Mass. We very well could have, but it might have been a cast where you had seen it and I did not, and I was just like asking you questions about it, like so it was like sort of like uh, an interview where I was like, you know, asking you your opinions and how you felt about it because we've done that before when you had something that you passionately wanted to discuss and I had not yet seen it. 
sometimes you can actually, you know, get more information, more coherent information, because we have a tend to go a little incoherent at times, especially myself, you can actually sometimes get more substance when you have one person that you're, you know, explains the show. and another one that <laughs> is simply asking you, like, you know, um, very, I don't know, like, I don't, like the questions that you would want to know before going into something like to determine whether or not you would like it. So, yeah. you know, I was just like kind of interviewing you. You were giving me your book report basically. So yeah. that's what we may have done with midnight mass, but I have no recollection of ever seeing. It. Maybe I thought you had seen it, but you should definitely watch that one. That one's really good. I yeah. thought midnight club was a little depressing uh, and it was a little tough to get through I, I, I think all everything was a little depressing i thought hill house yeah, was sure. a, a lot bit depressing yeah. you know i thought blind manor was depressing i certainly thought house of the usher was depressing well um, midnight club's about a group of like kids with like terminal diseases that are like dying and they get together at midnight i have absolutely no recollection of that so well, if I'm i saw telling it, you what yeah. it's about because I know yeah. you just said you hadn't seen it. Yeah, you're interrupting yeah. me, but uh, yeah. <laughs> explain to you. I, I am doing that. I am. Yeah. <laughs> trying to explain to you what it's about. You're like, oh, I've never seen it. It's like, yeah, uh, I know. You well, I'm trying to think. Well, you're saying like you th you were pretty sure that I saw it, and no, I thought you saw Midnight Mass. Yeah, I don't think Midnight so. Club is different. Anyway. Regardless, thing. I saw if this would be his fifth series, so it wouldn't yeah. be a trilogy at all. Anyway, uh, uh, but would, yeah, what would be five? What does that a trill an oh, no? What would be a five? Uh, no, not a quad. I don't know. Well, what I don't five. know. None of them are really related to each other, except for like House of Bly Manor and House of. Uh, and Haunting of Hill House just because Yeah, but like when we used to work at a video store back in the day, we would like label if like some of our favorite actors were in there, we would put like triple carotene, double gassed, uh, you know, something like that. Like we would we used to label stuff like that. So I was just wondering what a five piece would be. But yeah, they're not all directly related. So anyway. Uh, a, a collection of stories. <laughs> I don't yeah. know. But anyway, uh, so yeah, like I was saying, they're all loosely based on various works. Obviously, the most famous, I'm not the most famous, but the one that's based on the title. But anyway, it's, uh, it's a non-linear narrative set between like, uh, you know, jumps back and forth between like 1953 and 2023. And it's the, the rise of power of the... Uh, Bruce Greenwood's character, Roderick Usher, he's a powerful CEO and corrupt uh, pharmaceutical company. And uh, his sister, Madeline Usher, the genius CEO of the pharmaceutical company. And the events leading to the deaths of all his children and then him and his sister as well. And then um, it has a, like, a, you know, most of the people that you've seen in other Flanagan pieces. It's a lot of those recurring characters and like. Well, I have uh, a question for you. Um, I wanted to know um, what your opinion was about how they modeled the fall of the House of Usher around the Sackler family. 
and the people that are responsible for, I mean, we don't, I mean, Carla points it out at the end that we're not even ever really going to know how many people they're responsible for killing with the, if you want to call it inadvertent deaths, but like, you know, she says, I think in terms of body count, you know, you're up there and she goes through all that. What was um, your feeling about them using the Sackler family as like the representation of all this? I thought it was very interesting. Yeah, I thought it was uh, very well done. I mean, I don't know a whole lot about the Sackler family. I didn't watch any of those like documentaries, but I'm aware that they are like, you know, the, you know, directly involved with, like, the opioid crisis. Yeah, but, uh, I mean, they're responsible for, like, I mean, they are at least in part responsible for the deaths of, like, a lot of my friends. So, yeah. like, you know, I obviously have, yeah, I guess for someone that's never, like, you know, really had, like, a problem with opioids or, you know, been involved in that, like, you've never had any trips to rehab or anything like that. No. So, you know, I guess it might, you might not take it as personally as I do, but, like, I mean, I definitely I have plenty of Richard Sackler on the street. Have you ever seen any of the, um, pieces about the sack like um for example there was a recent show with matthew broderick um you didn't know like i said i never watched any of the shows or documentaries i know there's a couple on like yeah there was one with um what's his name uh batman First, yeah, michael, batman. Keaton. michael keaton uh called dope uh, excuse me sir first, excuse me sir first batman was adam west yeah, uh, <laughs> correct. You never saw Dope Sick then either. Okay. No, I did not. So yeah. you're, you, you, so the Sackler family was like a real freshie to you. Well, I thought it was fucking awesome that they decided to do that. Um, I'm like, I was kind of thinking like part of the way through, like, are the Sacklers going to try to take legal action against them? <laughs> and like, you know, I mean, because I also thought it was interesting because they went with Ligadone. I was thinking like they should have just straight up said Oxycontin. Like <laughs> I think they should have just went with it because, you know, it, it's an opioid derivative. It's, you know, one of the things that Poe was addicted to for most of his life. So like, you know, isn't Oxycontin like a name brand? Uh, Oxycontin is actually a formula. For what they did. I mean, if I were to start going into it, like yeah, chemically, yeah. how they made this, we would we would go into like a 15, 20 minute sidebar. But like, Oxy I was just wondering if it was like a name brand, like Band-Aid. Well, yeah, Oxycontin like was the name, but the brand was under their pharmaceutical company, which was Purdue Pharma. In the show, Purdue Pharma was called, what was the name of their company? Uh, Fortuna. Fortuna. So yeah. instead of Purdue Pharma, they went with Fortuna. And instead of Oxycontin, they went with a drug called Ligadone, which is supposed to be its equivalent. But just very quickly, Oxycontin was like basically they took Oxycodone and they made like a much more powerful, much more potent, much more addictive 
addictive version of oxycodone that was not supposed to be used to treat minor or moderate pain, but the Sacklers marketed it as a non-addictive opioid. When I can tell you from experience, I've talked to people, I never experienced Oxycontin. By the time like I started getting into that stuff and dabbling, Oxycontin was pretty much off the market in its original form. I've talked to dozens of heroin addicts that told me that they uh, preferred Oxycontin over any heroin that they've ever tried before. So, you know, in some areas it was called hillbilly heroin, but like everyone I know that was around during that time and was actively using Oxycontin or even mainlining Oxycontin, they said they preferred it to heroin. And, uh, you know, that was, uh, you know, that's basically where it came from. They took that painkiller and they made it like, you know, hundreds of times more addictive. Like you could become addicted to Oxycontin or Ligodone in this case, after only a few uses, less than a week on the drug could get you addicted. And the literature that the pharmaceutical reps for Purdue Pharma, or in this case, Fortuna in the show, went out, they went out and said that only less than 1% of recipients, they call them receptors, people that take the drug, less than 1% become addicted to it. That's what they did in real life. And obviously that's what they did in the show. So I I know you don't know that much about this, but people need to put that into perspective. Like this shit that they did, this happened in real life. They yeah. actually. Yeah, well, I'm fully aware of like what happened in real life. I just yeah. never took like a deep dive into it. Yeah, watched well, it I wasn't trying to go too deep, but I mean, when you think about it, like this was the marketing research was faked, and like they actually like described this as a totally not is the most addictive medication like that's ever been on the market, really. I mean, yeah, yeah, well, yeah. While, while while watching the show, like I was like, "Holy shit!" Like they, this is like what yeah. happened in real life. Yeah, yeah. Like I can yeah. definitely get that that parallel without having to like deep dive into like any documentary or whatever. I was like, yeah. for yeah, me, it just happened. helped because of the rage. Because when I hear it, like I was watching the show and I was really liking it, but like whenever I think about the Sacklers, like I get real angry. So like I was watching this show, like constantly mad. Like if you <laughs> yeah. saw me, there was a scowl on my face the entire time, even though I was loving it. Like, I was angry as fucking hell every second. Yeah. Well, uh, why don't we, uh, do you want to kind of break it down a, a bit? Um, uh, first, I want to mention, like, the uh, the way it's kind of presented, I really enjoyed where it's him, Bruce Greenwood, and the uh, his old-time rival, the district attorney, uh, kind of sitting in his old childhood home, which was, like, you know, decrepit and abandoned, and it's him telling the story uh, and, you know, releasing his burden about like how everything has happened over the years and how his six children have died, which like they think it's all just been like accidental and everything. And he's like, no, it's not accidental. This this all happened. They're all connected. 
I kind of like that uh, aspect of it where they're they're having the conversation. It kind of reminded me of like, you know, Tales from the Crypt a little bit where he would like, you know, introduce you to the story and then it would go back and tell you the story. And like, so like, I like that, that kind of like, because they, they almost felt like individual you know, um, it could have been like a anthology series in a way, and like they were like the overarching thing, but at the same time they all connected because each episode kind of follows like it jumps between like him as a you know uh, younger man coming up in this uh, pharmaceutical company, you know, and like he just had like a wife and kid, and like uh, and him and his like sister are trying to like you know get through life and having to deal with this. His ideas had been also plagiarized. Yes, like his yeah. boss had stolen his idea, which is actually sort of something that happened in the early days when Sackler was. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, a lot of this was all based on shit that really happened. And then it goes, and then it also jumps to, uh, and it shows each child and like how they like kind of, you know, all their fucked up you know <laughs> shit that, that was going on in their life and how they ended up dying and like yeah we talked that about episode. that a bit. they were all it, it, an interesting thing and i'm not really sure how this contributed to the story i guess maybe they were trying to um talk about uh richard's Sorry, I'm calling him Richard Sackler now. Yeah, I'm I'm calling him Richard Sackler. That might happen. But um whatchamacall, I'm not sure what it was meant to represent exactly. Like I have some theories, but all of it well, just about all of his kids had some weird sexual kink. You yeah. noticed that. I mean, and some of it was like really extremely sexually kinky too. Yeah. And I mean, they wanted to highlight it. I don't think, I think only one of his children was actually a straight heterosexual male. And even though he was a straight heterosexual male, he was a fucking psychopath. He found out that his wife went to this orgy. He didn't, she didn't do anything. He didn't know that she did anything. I mean, she may have done something. She may not have, but up until events that unfolded and <laughs> acid dropping from the ceiling, up until she was horribly injured she had not done anything unfaithful to him unless you consider her going to the party itself an act of unfaithfulness but like he was fucking psychotic like he was absolutely enthralled by the prospect that his wife could have been unfaithful to him so i would consider that some form of like sexual deviance in the aspect that he's like um very self-conscious about like his ability to perform sexually and to sexually satisfy his wife so all of his kids had some sort of kink in the realm of like their sex life and so it went from like just 
you know, sort of like low key things, people that like to be involved in threesome to full on fucking constant orgy parties, uh, lots of bisexuality with multiple partners. And then there was the really weird thing. Um, the husband and wife where they would hire a prostitute and the wife would, uh, one of Usher's kids, uh, the character of, uh, Tamarine, uh, she would actually hire a prostitute to fuck her husband while she watched, but the prostitute would always come in during dinner and play her part as a wife, and they would first have, like, just normal conversation. And then they would like, you know, how was your day, hon? How was this? How was that? And then they would like go up to the bedroom where she'd be like, all right, now I want you to fuck her in the ass or something like that. So, you know, it went, I'm, I thought that was, I'm not exactly sure what that was supposed to represent. Well, we should mention that like, uh, you know, the Roderick, uh, Usher, like all his children, only Henry Thomas was his, uh, son from his first wife and then like he that's a good point on her had multiple like partners so like all his yeah. kids were you know from different mothers and like but he didn't want to be like because let's just start from the beginning where like um his mom like had an, who was like a secretary for the guy at the company and like you know had cheated on uh or had sex with the boss and the boss wanted nothing to do with the family and like so yeah he didn't want that to become like his children so he would welcome everyone into the family uh you know with all these different affairs so he had all these uh different kids from different backgrounds and stuff so i yeah, think that's that might have like and he mentions if your blood yeah, I think that might have played a part on some, a lot of their upbringing with, you know, their sexual promiscuity. I'm not saying that right. Promiscuity. You know what I mean. Promiscuity, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's a tongue twister a bit. But yeah. yeah, that's a very good point. But he points out in the beginning, he tells the lawyer when he's going into the intro to the larger narration of the story he says you know if they're mine they're mine if they have my blood you know they're welcome as you know regardless of who their mother was but the children themselves they did not feel this way the children themselves like they considered only his first wife to be his real wife and the children he had with his first wife to be the legitimate heirs of the Usher empire. Um, the nicknames that they had for some of the others were like, they call them the bastards, I believe. If you yeah. remember at that point, they said, you know, they call us the bastards. And like, you know, although... Um, although Roderick did not feel that way, uh, the children... Uh, they judged themselves like to different standards. They felt that some of them were superior than others. And a lot, well, not all of them. A lot of them like got along and liked each other. But for some of them, they had terrible malicious intent. Um, well, he also like gave a lot of them a really hard time. 
uh, and so kind of pit them against each other a lot of times too. You know, maybe well, offering fifty million, offering fifty million dollars to yeah. Uh, do you want to talk a little bit about that? Because oh yeah, so yeah, it kind of opens up with the uh, them court. taking him to court, and uh, the district attorney reveals that the, like one of the children is a uh, mole or whatever, and is about to spill a bunch yeah. of information. And well, spoilers, there is no more. Spoiler, like, there is no more. Yeah, I kind of thought that right away. Time too. Did you, yeah. you you thought that too? Yeah. You were able to, I was like, first I oh thought, man, he's pitting them like, against each other. Yeah, I was like, oh, that's fucking evil. It just wouldn't work. Uh, and one thing I just wanted to bring home because I'm afraid I'll forget it uh, later. Because like I said, like I don't even know where to go from here because I don't like you had just mentioned the mother who first off, a, a great scene, they bury the mother. They think the mother's dead. Their original mother, they bury her alive. Yeah, she, she didn't want any she didn't want any medical attention or anything. So that like, it's just not job. She, yeah. she thought pain was being close to Jesus. Yeah. Like, no, she thought pain was like, she was a religious fanatic, total yeah. zealot. And so they bury they, they her alive. She dies, they bury her in the backyard. <laughs> yeah. And she ends up like ripping out. I didn't know. I thought she might've been a ghost or something like that, or like a zombie when she like came out of the ground. But yeah. like, you know, she then goes and kills uh what's his face. But um, the one thing I wanted to point out is that um, Roderick Usher's character, his sister, Madeline seems to have a very vivid recollection of when they first met Carla Gugino's character, who was Verna, named Verna, which yeah. I didn't know until looking in the uh, credits for. Her. She has a very vivid recollection of the talk they had in the bar, and I believe it was 1979 going into 1980. So it was right it was at the New turn Year's of Eve. Yeah, New Year's Eve. They sit down, they have a conversation with this woman at the bar. You're never really clear on what Carla's supposed to be. But the point I wanted to make is that Madeline Usher has a vivid recollection. When she sees pictures of Carla later on, who they think is like a stalker, who might even be like, I don't know, some slick assassin chick that's like, you know, uh, individually assassinating each one of the kids. Roderick Usher does claims that he does not remember her. He does not remember that conversation. And Madeline is very frustrated saying, you must remember it. He was experiencing some form of denial. And denial was also a big factor in several of the character psyches in the haunting of Hill House. And it's just something that I made a note of. And I'm not sure if he really didn't remember that conversation in the bar because it was very brilliantly done. Um, what is your opinion on what Verna was? Do you think she was a a demon? Do you think she was an angel? Do you think she was a genie? Do you, because that seemed like it was the closest to what she was a supernatural well, force. And she also... Jin, I wouldn't say genie. Because jinns are more evil, but not yeah. demon-like. 
and a, a genie is more like a, a you know but kids stories in a horrible character allowed them to commit i mean first off she goes way back like she is like this she manifests herself as the raven at certain parts that they see her as um she also is ageless and they show her in pictures dating back I think all the way to the early 1900s. I'm not sure if there was a picture of her and Hitler, but I know that there was a picture of her and uh, leading Nazis around the time. And she talks about how she worked with many influential people over the years, but she says in sheer body count, Roderick Usher and the Usher Empire um, are up in the top five in terms of, and she also says that they could actually become number one because of the ongoing opioid crisis in the planet. So that was, and you know, they uncover like pictures of her with different people, like over the years. And, um, when they leave that bar, on New Year's Eve going into 1980 after agreeing to her contract. I mean, that's, they were signing a book. I mean, that's like, remember, if you remember the movie, the witch, uh, they believed that like packs with the devil, you always sign their book. It was like a common thing. And like, they gave like a verbal consent. They basically said, you know, she said to them, you will become, some of the most famous people on earth. Um, you will have legal issues, but no matter how much evidence they have against you, you will always slide on the charges. You will live very long lives, but once you get to the end of your lives, that's it. Your entire bloodline, no matter how many children you have, they will all die before your eyes. And when you die, you will be the last of your bloodline. And, you know, dude, you're not going to forget a conversation that you had with someone like that. And then it all starts to come true in a few years. And when they left the bar that night and turned around, the bar wasn't even there. It was like an abandoned building, remember? Yeah. And I think there was a crow that was like flying around, like right on top of like the abandoned. Whoo, I got to tell you, I thought that was just a masterful introduction. And it wasn't even, that's not even the full intro. I mean, you know, that's like, maybe one or two episodes in yeah they don't actually show the conclusion to that conversation until they only show like bits and pieces of this bargain that they were making with this entity they don't even show the uh you know the climax to that conversation till maybe the episode before the last episode yeah, I don't know. It was definitely farther in there. And, like, yeah. the thing is, like, I mean, I, I know, like, he probably didn't take her seriously, but, like, he already had yeah. a kid at the time when he agreed yeah. to that. Yes. So, and- like, he, like, even if, like, you know, somebody offered, like, if he didn't have any kids and he, and he was like, yeah, 
yeah, all right, whatever. I'll agree to that. Like, yeah, I'll have the kids, whatever. Like, I can, I can do this. But like, he already had kids, so he's already damned this one kid, whether you believe it or not. And like, remember, he, he even already- if they didn't believe it, even if they didn't believe it, though, remember she knew things about them that there's no way that she could have possibly known. Yeah. About how they just like, you know, right out of one of Poe's stories, murdered their boss and started, I, I can't remember what the procedure was called. It happened a lot during like the Spanish Inquisition. It was where you are chained up and you are bricked in and left to die of starvation and thirst. Uh there's a name for that kind of death punishment, but I'm not aware of what it is. But anybody listening, you can see it. The guy is in shackles and they're using mortar and bricks to basically um, build him into the wall to seal him off. The only thing he will have uh, for the next 72 hours till you would feasibly die of thirst would be his own screams and thoughts and things like that. Although I believe she mentions that they also gave him cyanide. So I think she says he'll be dead by morning because of the cyanide. She talks about how he knew nothing about Merlot. She like talks about how he act all rich and fancy. He actually didn't know shit about shit. But Carla, she knew that they had just murdered him. And she like was totally cool about it. She was like, you guys did just murder your boss like such and such. Can't remember the guy's name. I would find it very hard, even if you didn't believe in any of that stuff, I would find it very, very difficult not to take Carla's character seriously at that point. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And it seems like Madeline really took her serious. Like you could tell she looked into her eyes and I don't believe Madeline ever had any children. Did Madeline Usher ever have any children? I don't think so. Um, And uh, she seemed to really take her seriously and they don't say necessarily, but that may have been the reason that Madeline decided not to have children because she took that so seriously, because what are the repercussions at that point? You're going to die of old age anyway, as long as you don't have any kids, you know, no one else is going to suffer. And I guess Roderick, he must have not taken her that seriously, like you just pointed out. He already had one child, and he decided he was going to have a bunch of other uh, women shit out way more of his kids later on. So, I mean, that's really being like a selfish prick, unless you make the argument that he just did not take her seriously, or because of the trauma of the evening, maybe like psychologically his brain was like suppressing those memories that's a possibility i guess yeah i think but, they had mentioned that like he like over the years he just thought it was like it, it kind of slowly became like a dream because he was like yeah you know, drinking at the time and like yeah, you know, up yeah. that night so it was like over the years we uh, i just thought it was a dream but then you know everything kind of you know came true or whatever yeah was, i don't know well, like how long you want to go and like you want to talk about each of the children and how they died. I, I do but, not. I do not. I, I just, yeah. I was really looking 
like the discussion we're having now, like I said, to break down each episode would just be too intense for me. So I'd like to go over some more characters. I'm going to assume that anybody that may be listening to this, if they haven't seen it yet, they're immediately now like pausing this or just, you know, chucking this cast out the window to go watch the show now, because, you know, if we're describing a masterpiece, but there was something we discovered right before doing this cast when I wanted to know what else Juno, uh, I guess Juno Usher, she was, um, she was Roderick's latest wife. I can't remember how many wives he had, but yeah. uh, he finds her and she's like not only his wife, she's kind of an experiment because she is like the poster child for Ligodon. She was taking, you saw what she took for breakfast in the morning. I'm going to assume that those were supposed to be the equivalent of Oxycontin 80 milligram tablets. Dude, she took like 30 of those fuckers. And that was just at breakfast. She must have had some kind of condition in her brain where her opiate receptors just did not process opioids normally. And she was able to survive on them. Dude, if you took the amount of oxy she was taking in one day and pumped that directly into the heart of a fucking killer whale, that whale probably would have died. Um, that's how much shit she was fucking consuming. But right before the cast, I wanted to see what else she was in because she looked familiar to me. And then you did some research and you found out that she was actually in a really brutal car accident where she had her leg amputated. And then I you found think it was a car accident. I think it was like, uh, it, it was, was in the show. It was a car accident. Oh, in the show. Yeah. She, she was in an accident that required her leg to be amputated. And you're going to have to then deduce that she was probably on a lot of painkillers. The evolution of her character, I thought was amazing. Um, but you found out some other information about her and how she's a brand new actress right yeah she's only been in like the the three things were all you know flanagan related and uh she had uh was like a a tiktoker well she was like a makeup artist and barber then the the pandemic hit and she lost her job and then she started doing tiktok videos first they were kind of funny then it was about like disabilities and then she Didn't you say she had like over six hundred thousand followers? Is that yeah, was that something like that? Yeah, and uh, that's incredible. I think it was like two hundred and fifty something thousand followers. Yeah, it was ridiculous. Oh, I thought but, you uh, said it was over six hundred thousand. I thought you said it was like six hundred and forty-seven thousand followers. Like regardless uh, yeah, of it, that, either like, way, yeah. But yeah, then she I mean, was found through TikTok for. Uh, for that and then uh once she started the casting process for what was it uh i think might have been midnight club midnight, or midnight club i believe it was yeah was her first one yeah she uh she deleted her she whole only has three credited things she has midnight club she was in all 10 episodes then she was in the all eight episodes of usher and then uh the only other credit she has on her imdb profile is creep show and she yeah. was only one episode yeah and that's like the that was the newest season as well yeah so, yeah yeah 
So yeah, her first thing was last year. So yeah, she yeah. So she has years. only been like acting for a year. Um, yeah, and know. everybody in the show like hated her. They were like, "Why are you here?" Oh, for no like, reason. Why? They, they like, just yeah. hated her because she was a junkie. She yeah. was a. They saw her as a junkie whore. Um, now let's be honest. She was actually a junkie whore. Her yeah. character had prostituted herself for heroin and things like that. And look, you know, fucking addiction, especially opioid addiction, it's a disease. People do extreme things to get their next fix. So she was by no means unique, but she had totally turned her life around. And she even wanted to get off of the, even though she was having like a total stable reaction to the amount of ligadone she was on, she still decided, you know, I don't want to be a slave to anything. Everybody hates me. Like there was a uh, one scene that was particularly emotional where she was with, uh, Tammy, right. Uh, that was the one we were talking about. Uh, Tamarine. I don't know. It's a fucking kind of weird name. I. Uh, but she uh, was talking about how she never had any family and she was so happy that she was belonging to someone because they were literally leaving her alone in that house 24-7. Roderick was barely ever there. It was just her alone in a mansion Everyone hated her. Everyone underestimated her. Everyone treated her like dirt. And she turned out to be like the sweetest, most kind-hearted human being there were. She was better than any other one of their characters. When it just came down to being a good person, she had a better soul than any of them. Except and for maybe the granddaughter. But yes, yeah. Except for maybe the granddaughter, but we don't know because the granddaughter mysteriously, well, sh I guess she has to die, right? Yeah. Because yeah. she was part of the bloodline, even though she wasn't actually, well, did she have to die, Doc? Yeah, because she was part of the bloodline. She, she even but says she like. She wasn't part, oh, she was part of the bloodline because of Roderick's son. I was thinking of her being, because, you know, Roderick's son's wife, who got burned by the acid, she wasn't part of the bloodline, but yeah. in order for them to have a child, yes, yeah, yeah. she, so yeah, she yeah. did have to die. Yeah, she, um, like, even Verna was like, uh, I'm sorry that this, but this has to happen. I don't yeah. understand why, why people don't understand what bloodline means. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. But, then, but like, she goes her, on to tell her what she does. Yeah, yeah what, what happens happened. in the name of her death and everything and how what the positive impact on her life, uh, everyone's life is because of yeah. her death and everything. And she, yeah. like, they don't really explain, like, how, like, she ended up dying, but it was, like, very peaceful and everything. Yeah, she was uh, the yeah. last one, I believe, to die. And, like, because the, um, when Roderick and the prosecutor are talking, in the old house, he says, you know, that uh, his granddaughter just passed away and the prosecutor doesn't even believe him. Oh, yeah, because she's texting him the whole time and it's like, oh, yeah, it was like part of the, like, some AI 
uh, process. That yeah, so been... twisted, uh, yeah, that they never got right. And, you know, the, the process that his like... sister that was working on because she wanted to live forever. They talked, they were talking about yeah. like programs that she was trying to do. And like, it kind of makes sense on like why she was trying to create that when she had, because she had believes verna was saying that like hey you're gonna die she was like all right well i'm gonna find a way to live forever then live forever yeah so it was something in the works yeah you know, yeah they were constantly trying to cheat verna out of her roles yeah. they were constantly trying to find a way to circumvent the contract that they had you know yeah, signed yeah. the book and they were constantly trying to figure out some way i mean at one point madeline even convinces roderick to commit suicide by taking a whole bottle of ligodone 80s and like you know that would have killed him like extremely quickly he powers them down with that cognac he has that cognac it's uh the cognac bottle, it's a $4 million bottle. It's made out of gold and diamonds. And the cognac had been aged over 100 years in oak barrels. It's something that they point out several times, yeah. the quality of the cognac. Because Verna later goes through the history of the cognac too. I'm not exactly sure what that was all about about the why they kept mentioning how good the cognac was but i mean there was something there but um i want to move on to something that we've so far completely overlooked and i wanted you to kind of take the lead on this because is it mark hamill's character the attorney yeah. Yes, yeah. I was just about to say I want I, there was one more character I want to talk about before we wrap things up, and that was Mark Hamill's character. At, uh, and, and he deserves he deserves a little while. We yeah. need to discuss this man because this is the. I mean, this might be some of the best work I've ever seen Mark Hamill do. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, because you don't normally see him in these. I mean. I love his voice acting. He's an amazing voice yeah. actor. Yeah, but, he is. Like, but like yeah. I hadn't seen Mark Hamill in a role that I would, you know, for me, consider to be like a real serious role. Like I've seen him in these terrible remakes of Star Wars that they've been doing and stuff like that. But I haven't seen Mark Hamill in a role where I'd say like, you know, you know, this is like a very powerful character in very creative, complex drama. And I don't see Mark Hamill really being cast for those kind of roles. At least I can't remember another point in his career where he was cast for this type of character. Can you? No, I mean, uh, yeah, outside of uh, Star Wars, I mean... He was Cockknocker and Jane Silent Bob Strike Back, and then like uh, he was in a movie called The Giver, I believe. Do you remember that? Oh, it yeah, was like an old eighties like sci-fi yeah. movie where it was yeah. like real. I can't remember exactly what happened, but you know it was like Mark Hamill is you know The Giver, and I mean Mark Hamill's also done like a lot of like spoofs. Like I've seen him on like. Saturday Night Live where he played like Einstein or something. I don't know. He was on like a 
he was on like a ski mobile or something like that, or a snowmobile, and he was doing something. And I, I, it might have been an episode. I think it was actually an episode of Jimmy Kimmel where they did some spoof skit for a movie he was was in where he played out. Yeah, it was Jimmy Kimmel. Now that I think of it, where he played Albert Einstein, he says E equals two ski squared or something. But the point is. Up until very recently, I had only really seen Mark Hamill doing character uh, comedy work. Yeah, I mean, character. I just saw him in uh, Burt Kirshner's The Machine, where he plays Burt Kirshner's like dad and stuff, and that was like a comedy oh, okay. action movie. But yeah, like, yeah, yeah, I haven't seen any like real like hardcore drama. Uh, stuff he for, was uh, tremendous in this. And yeah. do you want to talk a little bit about the expedition he was on? Because they never he you know he is one of the best lawyers on the planet. Because obvious well well, I guess due to Verna, he could not lose. But they consider him to be at one of, if not the best attorney in the world, because like he just never lost a case. He, they say he has the power of a half dozen of the other best lawyers in the world. Um, so, you know, he's incredible, incredibly successful, but up until like midway through, I think we found out, uh, we looked over it last night. It was episode six, where uh, Roderick is explaining to the prosecutor exactly who his attorney is and what he had been through because the prosecutor makes a joke and says, I guess he's the type of guy you call when you you accidentally kill a prostitute. He mocks him, you know, calling him kind of like a fucking, you know, bottom feeding asshole. But he's like, oh, no, he is nowhere near that boring. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> then it goes. Yeah, he's the- like the most trusted, like, uh, member. Like, I would say he's more trusted than most of the family members for Bruce, Bruce yeah. Greenwood, yeah. Uh, for Roderick. I mean, and uh, yeah. Talk, so talk like about the, talk about yeah, his life. Yeah. Yeah, so at one point, like, he, like, tells him, like, oh, there was, like, a huge, like, when he was, like, 25, um, Hamill's character goes on this expedition, like, around the world, and at one point, he, and he was, like, I used to, like, he would get up to a point where, like, he would all, he would love to tell stories to the kids, but he would get up to a point where he would never tell them like specific yeah. details about them, and they used to, like, make up stories about him. He was, like, oh, yeah. I used to think, I used to like to think that he, like, He's killed somebody and he's tasted flesh and everything. Yeah, he's, and he's like, like, I want to, I want to believe that he's eaten human flesh. Like, yeah. he's that much of a badass. But then there was this thing about like this mystical island he finds, like yeah, in the North Pole, called Ultima Thule, and uh, he claims that it was like home to a race of creatures who lived beneath us, out of time, out of space. And, like, I would watch an entire series just on that expedition. They like, may be those aliens we see with the big heads. Like, they they once in a while come into our space. Like, yeah, I would – if they wanted to make a spinoff and make, like, a Raised by Wolves type of, like, sci-fi, like, get Ridley Scott involved or something like that, 
I would rock the fucking shit out of that, dude. Yeah, I, I mean, it kind of sounds familiar a little bit to like something like you know uh, Lovecraft's work of like Mountains of Madness with like an expedition yeah. to the Arctic and they find this hidden city and it's like you know these ancient beings and stuff. Like yeah, that. or even something fabled that you would hear like stories that the like uh, cave drawings that they found in like old Aztec ruins that show like this strange place that uh you know people that have analyzed it can't really place like uh like they were living in the lost city of atlantis or something like that or you know something that went extinct like you know i mean we know that pompeii existed but you know i mean the volcano kind of made everybody there unavailable for you know the rest of existence so you know a lot of the history of that got destroyed but this kind of reminded me of like something you might see in like ancient cave paintings or something like that like this island where these little weird people like you would find this in like ancient what do they call it sanskrit or something like yeah, that yeah 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 you know well, what I mean? Like, I just started watching the uh, new uh, Apple TV series, Monarch uh, Legacy of Monsters, which is set in the world of the Godzilla and King Kong. Uh, Ooh, first you're going to brag, you're gonna brag a little bit? First, first two episodes are out. No, and I just want to mention how, like, they do, like, uh, you know, like, I like how they tie everything to, like, myth- mythical beasts from, like, you oh, know, yeah. or, like, from the, the different regions. They're like, oh, yeah, I'm chasing, you know, I'm a cryptozoologist or whatever. Like I, I'm hunting like myth, mythical beasts and stuff like that. So, uh, <laughs> <A crypto. laughs> yeah, that's what they're called. Like that's, uh, yeah, no, I know, yeah, yeah. no, I know. Yeah. I, I don't know why, but the, the way you said that sounded really funny to me. Yeah. I mean, cause those people are, are funny. Cause like they're always yeah. hunting Bigfoot and shit like that. But in this case, they're, you know, they're hunting, you know, these, you know, like the um, this one character who's who I don't know the actor's name, but he uh, he was in Workaholics, and uh, he plays like a younger version of John Goodman's character from from Kong Skull Island, and like he's like hunting these mythical beasts, and they find like and they're like, yeah, I'm searching these patterns <laughs> of like this like what they called like a dragon in the Philippines or whatever, and like this is it's like path that like leave behind this radiation or whatever. But, yeah, anyway. Oh, okay. I love how they tied everything together. Things, but there's some evidence that they might have they or might be. did exist. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And, like, you know, uh, um, Wyatt Russell, uh, you know, Kurt Russell's son, he plays yeah. a younger version of Kurt Russell in this. So Kurt I'm Russell, kind of like, offended that you asked me if I knew. I know every everything that every offspring that Kurt Russell has, like anything that could be known about Kurt Russell, I pretty much know. Kurt Russell is in this as well. So it's like Wyatt Russell is not playing to somebody. He's playing a younger version of Kurt Russell in this. So, but like he's Kurt kind of Russell like, was one of the first people that um, was one of the callers to the, uh, I think what's known as the phenomena of the Phoenix lights. The uh, oh, really? Arizona, they saw yeah. all. Kurt oh yeah, Russell, that's right. I do remember. Actually, uh, he had a pilot's yeah. license. Yeah. I don't know for certain, but I think Kurt Russell might have actually been piloting a plane 
saw those lights and he radioed it into air traffic. I don't know if he was a passenger in a private plane or if he was actually, um, you know, uh, controlling the aircraft itself. But I know he reported calling into air traffic control and saying like, there's these beings up here, lights yeah, in the yeah. sky thing, you know? And, so, uh, and he was in the thing which dealt with, you know, creatures from uh from beyond so in in the, yeah. in the arctic so yeah it all kind of ties but yeah we, I need just, to, I, we need to talk to kurt russell that's something i really like to do before i die <laughs> sit down and have a conversation with kurt russell i think chino once didn't chino like write a letter to kurt russell saying he wanted kurt russell to pay for a tattoo of kurt russell that he was going to get on his back as a full back <laughs> i don't remember that, chino about later i'm pretty sure i'm right but mark hamill's character was amazing yeah yeah and like yeah i was saying like i would love to watch a series just on his expedition yeah. and him you know meeting all these uh creatures but yeah he, i thought he was he was phenomenal in this and like yeah. they, she and verna offers her the deal at the end was like hey you can get away with this scot-free but like you know i'm gonna you know take your life at some point down the line or whatever and he was well, like she oh. asked what he has it was a yeah. very interesting thing she didn't say necessarily i'm gonna take your life she offered them a way out she said you know you're either going to die in federal prison watching the fall of the monstrosity that you helped create or i can get you out of this and he asked you know what's the catch and she said, what do you have? I thought that was very interesting. Yeah. yeah. Because he then says, I have nothing. And she's like, well, you must have something. And I'm just paraphrasing here. But he then takes a pause, a breath. He looks her dead in the eyes. And he says, if I were to do that, I would be compromising myself. I would be giving you leverage leverage is weight leverage is something that no one has ever had on me a compromise that i've never made in my entire life and regardless of the consequences i'm never going to allow anyone to have leverage over me which i mean just that line there gave me chills. And the fact that it was Mark Hamill that was the brilliant actor portraying this lawyer who did these terrible things for these terrible people, but is still a man of great principled integrity. And Mark Hamill fucking executed, executes the role to a flaw. It really, that kind of touched me right there that was a very powerful moment at the very end of the show and of yeah. course like she said it comes to pass he goes to prison and he dies there yeah 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 I thought but it was, he uh, knew he yeah. deserved it he knew yeah. Yeah, He knew what, just as everybody else knew that there was going to, at some point, well, at least, you know, um, Roderick and Madeline knew, um, they knew that at some point there was going to be a reckoning because of the bargain they struck. And although 
uh, Mark Hamill's character doesn't strike a bargain with her. I think that was supposed to symbolize that he knew when he got involved with the Usher crime family that he was making a bargain in of itself. That by getting in bed with these people at some point, they would most likely be either legally weeded out or the townsfolk would come with torches and pitchforks and lynch him. Um, you know, that's how I interpreted that as. I don't, Did you have a different uh, take on it? No, I, that was, yeah, well, very well put. That's exactly how yeah. I felt as well. Yeah, he, uh, yeah, since he had, you know, you know, been to the pole and seen these creatures beyond out of space and time. He knew that like she was something, if not one of those types of creatures, something similar and was like, yeah, I'm not falling for this. You know, I, I like, I'd rather fucking die than, you know, whatever plans you have for me. I, I, I'm going to stick with like, I knew what I was doing this whole time and I'm going to yeah. you know, suffer yep. consequences for it. So yeah, I thought it was, yeah, I thought that was very, very well done. Yeah. And I mean, there's so much more that I could talk about. I know that we're missing out on a lot of stuff. I just wanted to go over a few of my favorite scenes. Um, the I believe it was episode four entitled The Black Cat, where um, the one son who I, I don't know his situation because he was... Um, I thought he was gay because he was dating a man, but in the beginning scene uh, that they, when they introduce him, he's a video game producer. He doesn't make them, uh, but he produces video games. He like fronts the money and it shows him getting a blowjob from a woman when his boyfriend's on the way up. And I thought that was like really strange. (laughs) I don't know like his whole like personality, but one of my favorite scenes was how he starts going crazy. Kind of, you know, uh, you know, he's chasing this black cat that no one else can see. And he has like Thor sledgehammer. And he's just going wacko in his apartment with it. Knocking down all the walls. People are like, what are you doing, man? Like, what's wrong? It reminded <laughs> me of... Uh... It, that episode of It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia where the cat gets on the walls and Charlie's like, oh, cat walls, now you're talking my language. <laughs> and I thought, see, I thought that what was going to end up happening is that because uh, Verna was able to make you hallucinate in all these different ways, and I thought that he was going to murder his boyfriend with that hammer. I thought she was going to make him look like the cat and he was going to murder the cat by murdering and then commit suicide. But, uh, you know, it turned out a little bit differently. And, uh, but that was one of my favorite scenes was when he, uh, goes crazy with the big sledgehammer. Um, I'm trying, Oh, Another one of my favorite scenes was in the nightclub when they're going to demolish it and they did the pit and the pendulum on, I can't remember the actor's name. Henry Thomas from, uh, you know, E.T. Okay. Yeah. I can't, I couldn't remember his name, but yeah, he, uh, falls victim to the pendulum. Yeah. 
Um, my favorite scene was probably the in the one of the first up, ep- but probably the first episode where the, he's about to have that orgy, and he wants to have like the water come down. You know, it, it was like they you know had like that he wants to have the party in one of their old plants. He was like, oh, you're shutting this plant down. Maybe I can throw a uh, party there. And it's like, then he's like, oh, we're going to have the, the water rain down when we have this orgy. And uh, yeah, it's and like the acid comes down and fucking burns everyone. I kind of saw yeah. I was like, I was like, I kind of saw that coming in a way. I was like, oh, I bet it's going to be acid that rains down I, in the water. I, 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 I did too, but um. <sighs> I mean, that was one of my favorite scenes and one of my least favorite scenes at the same time. Um, but yeah, I thought the pendulum was really well done. Um, yeah, I mean, it's a really well done show. So yeah, there's, there's just so much more we really could talk about. And I know we're probably missing a ton of like classic moments that oh, yeah, we could, you know, like we said in the beginning, we're not doing a deep dive. Yeah. So yeah, but uh, I think, you know, if you haven't checked this out yet, um, Unless our tastes are very different, I think that this was one of the um, best horror series that I've seen in at least the last three or four years, at least. Um, I would say since maybe Haunting of Hill House, in terms of horror series, I think that this has probably been my favorite in quite some time. So, yeah, it's, um, it's definitely up there, but uh, yeah, um, yeah, that's pretty much all I, I have. I mean, uh, yeah. just to, the only thing I would say is you have to say it, yeah, yes, definitely. Um, the last thing I did want to mention before uh, we go is his next uh project, uh, Mike Flanagan, uh, is uh, called Life of Chuck. Uh, I believe it's a, I don't know if it's a series or a movie. I think it's a movie, but it's got like Tom Hiddleston, Matthew Lillard, uh, Carrie Gillian, Mark Hamilton. Yeah. Mia Sarah. Um, Yeah. It's about like a life affirming genre bending story based on a Stephen King novella about three chapters of the life of an ordinary man. Interrupt real quick. I'm so, so, so sorry about this, but I, I have to fucking put this in there. Otherwise I would have been pissed off. Carlo Gugino is 57 or 58 years old. That's all I want to say. I'm done. She looks fantastic, but I don't know why you brought up her age. <laughs> I because she is such a fucking ridiculously beautiful woman. Yes, I just have to. You know, she's one of my all-time f- favorite, talented, like just all out. I mean, I'm in love with her, and I just want to point out that she she could pass for like 25. That's all I want to say. It, it, I I have to mention it. It's Carla, man. I love her. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, I just wanted to mention uh, his next upcoming project, and then after that, I believe he's still working on the Dark Tower series. Dark uh, Tower. See, I thought the Dark Tower series was his next project. Well, that's what I thought too. And then I, I read about this, and I was like, "Oh wow, that's got a fucking huge cast, and it's based on and Stephen say, King." So it should be good. say the name of it again. I'm sorry, I interrupted you. What the was Life the name of, of it? The, the Life, Life of Chuck. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, okay. that should be interesting. I believe that's his next piece while he's also working on uh, 
I believe I don't know if they've already filmed that or if the, it just says in production. So yeah, he's killing it. I gotta tell you, uh, he does very little wrong for me. I mean, I didn't particularly enjoy Haunt, um, Haunting of Bly Manor, but um, I, I think that's the only one I didn't really enjoy. I still enjoyed it. I'm not. Yeah. Uh, no, I'm saying like yeah. I didn't think it was a like I wouldn't probably watch it again. But like, if someone asked me, should I check it out? I would say, yeah, I would definitely check it out. I would just say, you know, it wasn't one of my favorites. So it's he just hasn't done anything I thought that was like a piece of shit. It's because like Haunting of Hill House was so good that like so good. They, yeah, the expectations just, were so high for Blind Man. Yeah, so yeah. I thought thing. it started off very strong and then it got real weird. But you know, we already talked about this. But in terms of uh, Fall House of the Usher, total masterpiece. I can't recommend it highly enough. If you haven't seen it, definitely watch it. And if you have seen it, maybe go back and. Uh, Watch it again, and if you find anything that you thought we really terribly missed, you can always comment on Facebook, um, you know, if you're into those type of things. But, uh, yeah, I mean, r really, really check it out if you haven't yet. It is fantastic. And yeah. that's all I have for tonight. Uh, yeah, anything else? Uh, yeah, I just want to recommend, you know, Midnight Mass again to you since you haven't yeah. Yet. Yeah, de de yeah, definitely. And the life of Chuck and the Dark Tower. Things to look forward, look forward to. to. Yeah, I'm always looking forward to whatever he's doing next. And yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah. From now on, yeah, actor strike is done. Like these yeah. things can come out sooner. So, yeah. Hope, yeah. Like, hope, hopefully everything's getting back on track. You know yes. what I mean? So, anyway, thank you guys so much for joining us. Kevin, it's always been a pleasure. And uh, we will catch you next time. Peace. Right. Peace.